Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, President of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. Hope you're doing well as the cold weather blows in, at least in this part of Texas. I don't know what, I mean, I guess in other parts of the state, maybe it's been cold for a while. I'm very sensitive to cold weather. I like to say I'm allergic to it. Anyway, this is not a weather show. We talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom here on the Texas Values Report. We've now had over 200 episodes of our weekly radio show running for over four years. We're excited about that. But if you're new to the show, we talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom. And as they relate to the courts, the legislature, and the media. And there's been a lot going on, particularly as it relates to court cases and some policy issues here across the state of Texas on faith, family, and freedom issues. A lot of that's taken me out of the studio. Good to have a team of people that are part of our work because I've been running around the state uh, getting involved in some of these issues and uh, pro, excuse me, providing insight and support. But someone who knows a lot about, a group that knows a lot about the legal issues as they relate to religious liberty in particular is First Liberty Institute. And so I want to introduce our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Lathan Watts is the Director of Legal Communications for First Liberty Institute. He's responsible for all the efforts to increase the work that First Liberty Institute does on the local and at the national level. Uh, Prior to joining First Liberty Institute, he was on staff with U.S. Congressman Jim Henserling and also U.S. Senator John Cornyn, also Governor Rick Perry. He's got a J.D. from the University of Mississippi and has served in elective office himself. Lathan, welcome to the Texas Values Report. Thank you so much for having me. Well, look, you know, uh, a lot of our friends here that follow the show know that Kelly Shackelford is on the board of Texas Values, that our team, uh, so a couple of members of our team have worked for First Liberty Institute a few years back. It's great to continue that friendship and that connection that we have. And it's also great to see some of the work that y'all are doing, though, as y'all continue in your growth and your influence nationally. And so I know there was an event this week up at the White House. And your office is in Plano in, in Texas, but I know y'all do a lot of work. You got an office in D.C. and a lot of folks up there. And so, but I know the um, there's been a lot of focus on what the president is doing when it comes to judicial nominations, and that took center stage in an event earlier this week. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, thank you again uh, for having me. Uh, we are headquartered here in Plano, but we do have a, a small office there in D.C. that uh, we're fortunate enough to share some um, some space with the Heritage Foundation in one of their uh, buildings there not far from the Supreme Court, so it's a good spot for us. Um, the president did have a, uh, a press conference earlier this week um, just basically kind of celebrating the success of his administration in filling uh, vacancies on uh, the federal bench, and uh, his administration has been very uh, successful in doing so, uh, particularly with the help of uh, uh, Senator McConnell and uh, some of the rules changes in the Senate that make a lot more sense now as to the confirmation process that's allowed him to get a lot of his nominees uh, through to a hearing and a final vote. And um, he has uh, been very successful in uh, in filling these, uh, these vacancies with um, people who have a uh, a record of defending religious liberty, whether it was in their time as a as a judge, you know, at a, in another position before they were nominated to the federal judiciary, or in private practice as a, as attorneys, and that's really the the one 
uh, aspect of the of the whole process that First Liberty is involved in. As, as you know, and your listeners probably know, that's the only type of litigation that we engage in is protecting religious liberty, uh, defending people of all faiths all around the country. So when a person is nominated, uh, First Liberty does some extensive uh, research on their record, and um, and and we uh, uh, opine as to their record on uh, religious liberty, and if they have a solid track record of uh, an, an original uh, interpretation of the First Amendment as it relates to the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause, and a record of of protecting that right, then we say so. And um, if not, uh, we, we do that too. Um, in, Let me jump in real in, quick. We're talking with Lathan Watts, Director of Legal Communications for First Liberty Institute. And it is very common, Lathan, as you're talking about. I mean, y'all are practitioners. I mean, you know, the legal team, all the folks that are part of what y'all do, you know, are involved in court cases. So you, you have some interaction a lot of times with judges. You, you see how they work. You get a feel for their demeanor and their sense of professionalism. And that's a lot of times what people are looking for when they're considering nominations to the federal bench. Most of these nominations, with the exception of a few, are lifetime appointments. And so, you know, you want to get it right. And it's very rare that you see a judge removed from a bench. And so a lot riding on making the right decision. But over a 50, 150 judges have now been confirmed that have been a part of a nomination from the Trump administration, quite a legacy that's being built there in in this, you know, what a lot of people feel like is a first of, uh, of a second term that's likely to come or people expect to come from President Trump, as supporters at least. There was one nominee, though, I know got a little bit of attention, Lawrence Van Dyke, uh, and his confirmation hearing certainly was noticed by some people. I mean, there's so many news stories these days. A lot of people really don't see a whole lot of what we think they see. But I know in some of the circles that I'm in, that got a lot of attention. And this was a a nomination to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Lawrence Van Dyke has some history with First Liberty Institute. Tell us a little bit about that issue. Uh, that's a, that's exactly right. As as an attorney, he was a, a part of our volunteer attorney network. He worked with us on uh, religious liberty uh, cases, and you know he's a he's an outstanding attorney. Um, he's one of those, as I said before, that clearly has a record of of defending uh, religious liberty. Obviously, is one of our uh, volunteer attorneys, and so you know we were happy to come out and and support his. Um, his confirmation, uh, and we did so. His hearing did get some attention for the, uh, frankly, unconstitutional attacks against him um, based on his religious uh, background and his his uh, religious views. And that's something that we've seen from uh, Democrats and on the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, consistently violating uh, the uh, Article Six. prohibition against a religious test for public office. We've seen it with uh, Lawrence Van Dyke. We saw it with Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. We've seen it with others where uh, these senators are asking them questions about their religious beliefs as if that is going to somehow qualify them or disqualify them uh, to serve in the federal judiciary, and that is blatantly unconstitutional. Um, we are uh, uh, hopeful that um, you know, uh, Lawrence Van Dyke will get his final vote in the Senate, will be confirmed to the Ninth Circuit. Um, if so, um, President Trump's nominees and uh, now appointees to that circuit would narrow the margin in the Ninth Circuit, the most liberal circuit, to about 1613 as far as uh, judges who had been appointed by liberal presidents versus conservative presidents. 
and that's that's a significant you know development for uh, for the Ninth Circuit. Um, people may not know when you when you go in front of a circuit court of appeals, your case is not heard by the entire panel of judges. You get a random three judge panel, and so by narrowing that margin, you have a much a much more likely uh, possibility that you get a panel that has at least one uh, judge on it that is a textualist or an originalist, uh, somebody who adheres to the, the original meaning of the Constitution. So that would be a great achievement for the Trump administration to narrow that margin. And as you mentioned, if he's reelected with um, you know, other judges who maybe become eligible for retirement, there's even the possibility he could flip that uh, circuit to a, a majority of of judges with a, a conservative interpretation of the Constitution, and that would be quite a legacy. Well, we're talking with Lakeland Watts, Director of Legal Communications for First Liberty Institute. Just a little programming note, so to speak. I've got on the back of my uh, laptop, if you're watching on Facebook, uh, an announcement about our Texas Values Faith, Family, and Freedom Gala. I know Kelly Shackelford's going to be there, the uh, uh, CEO of First Liberty Institute, we give out an award in Kelly Shackelford's name. I mean, how cool is that, right? You you know you've made it, if you will, when you're still alive and there's an award being given out in your name. And so, and Kelly's, you know, he's in great shape. I'm not trying to pick on his age, but that says a lot about the amount of work he's done in his, uh, I, I mean, it's not a short career. I mean, he started at a very young age, but, you know, he's done quite a bit in you know, 15, 20 years or so, or a little bit more, 25 years in this space, so to speak, on religious liberty. That's on November 15th. That's in Houston. That's the Faith, Family, and Freedom. Go to txvalues.org forward slash gala. Dennis Prager is going to be our keynote speaker. Keynote speaker, excuse me. Our Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's going to be there. Kelly Shackelford, Senator Angela Paxton, Representative Tom Oliverson, a lot of uh, activists around the area. So want to make sure that y'all see that. We'll certainly be talking about issues as they relate to judges. I imagine Dennis Prager will bring it up. <clears throat> but Lathan, you're talking about Lawrence Van Dyke in the Ninth Circuit, how he was attacked. There is a lot of times an effort really to just make people feel so uncomfortable that they don't even want to be a part of this process in attacking their faith and things of that nature and trying to create a religious test, as you suggested. You know, the Ninth Circuit is out in the California area. I forget which other states it's connected to. The Fifth Circuit, though, is right here in Texas. That's Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. And I think it's important for people to appreciate what we're talking about. A lot of attention on the U.S. Supreme Court, and rightly so. I mean, they make the final say on some of the biggest decisions, and that impacts the entire country. But most cases don't get that far. Most of them are only in the district court of the federal level or the court of appeals. You know, we've got people that uh, are now on the Fifth Circuit that have had some background on some of these issues in Texas. People like Jim Ho, you got Brantley Starr now um, going into uh, a court position, and, and a number of people that I could name as well. But that's where a lot of these 157 judges are. They're at the trial or the district court and at the court of appeals like the Fifth Circuit. Oh, that's exactly right. And, you know, on an, any given court term, the Supreme Court uh, will 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 get about somewhere between you know uh, six thousand appeals, maybe up to eight thousand appeals, and they might hear sixty to eighty of them. So you're talking really about a one percent chance that that uh, that that case goes all the way to the Supreme Court, which, as you said, means that that Circuit Court of Appeals decision ends up being the final decision in most cases. Um, 
you know, I think about the, the Supreme Court case that we won recently in, in June defending the Bladensburg World War I memorial. Had the Supreme Court not taken that case, the Fourth Circuit's opinion would have been the controlling authority. And the Fourth Circuit said that that monument should be torn down because it was in the shape of a cross. And the Fourth Circuit covers Arlington National Cemetery. So just think, had that case not gone to the Supreme Court, and that Fourth Circuit opinion uh, becomes the controlling authority there. Uh, the Humanist Association, who filed the lawsuit, um, you know, could have go- taken that decision into Arlington National Cemetery and and threatened you know, the Canadian Cross of Sacrifice, the Argonne Cross, um, you know, possibly uh, talk about sandblasting the Lord God off the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I mean, it would have been a disaster had the court not taken that. But you're exactly right in that a lot of um, the Trump nominees are serving at the district court level. They're serving at the Circuit Court of Appeals level. And these are all lifetime appointments. Um, and his um, his appointees, on average, are younger than um, previous presidents, um, and so they they have the potential to to serve thirty to forty years. I mean, it it could be, uh, and I think it it may go down in history as Trump's number one legacy item is his reshaping of the federal judiciary with. Uh, judges who adhere to a, a strict interpretation of the Constitution and its original text and its original meaning. Yeah, look, I mean, the the type of judges that uh, presidents select are one of those important things. And it was a huge election issue. I mean, when you look at the election, and, and now that we're rolling into this next election cycle, if you will, for the uh, presidential nominees, that was a big deal. I mean, a lot of people were talking about that. And, and it's important for people to be reminded that influence, that aspect of the role of a president, and then for people to see, well, what kind of judges have resulted from that? One of the things that came out this week, and some of this relates to um, some of the things that happened during the Obama administration. Some of that was judges making decisions that you and I would have disagreed with the interpretation, and some of that's being addressed by all these judges now that are on the bench filling vacancies. But some of that was administrative rules that were be you know really being written that did not go along with or, or have congressional approval. Um, so one of those things that came out recently was there's a federal rule that details that faith-based groups, uh, in relation to their religious liberty rights, um, they have to follow non-discrimination provisions passed by Congress. What a concept, right? That they would just follow federal law. But it's a response to what happened over the Obama administration or during that time when they were writing their own rules. Even though they knew they didn't have congressional approval and that they weren't supported, they were trying to advance their agenda by coming up with rules that did not have congressional approval. And I know this has gotten some pushback from some people, but really it's been about the Health and Human Services just making sure that their agency is following federal law. That's exactly right. I mean, one of the first things that uh, the Trump administration did with regards to the Health and Human Services uh, Agency was they they created a task force um, to specifically um, look at issues of uh, uh, free exercise of religion to conscience protections, basically for people who work in healthcare who may have a, a deeply held religious conviction that that may prevent them from uh, from certain um, uh, services or or activities, and making sure that their their conscience rights are protected. And um, so that was you know one of the first indications that this administration was going to make uh, religious liberty a priority, and. Um, and and they've done so uh, successfully. So we that was one of the first indications of that, and uh, we continue to see it play out, um, you know, even even right now. Well, in a lot of ways, that rule 
that now follows what, uh, you know, the saying you got to follow discrimination policies at the congressional level and not what people make up on their own. That follows, tracks a lot of what we've done at the state level. In 2017, we passed a law called the Freedom to Serve Children Act, which makes it clear that the government cannot punish faith-based adoption and foster care providers for following their biblical beliefs when they're involved in this charitable work. The government cannot force them to give up or compromise their beliefs on marriage and sexuality or even the issue of life. So if you're a foster care or adoption provider, and and the motivation for many of them doing that is because the Bible says certain things or commands them or they're living out their faith. And so for the government to come in and say, you can't follow those things anymore, well, you're you're undermining their you know, their whole mission in 25% of faith-based adoption, excuse me, of adoption and foster care providers in the state of Texas are faith-based. If they're no longer allowed to participate because the government's going to punish them for being Christian, the state foster and adoption care agency and effort will fall apart. And that's not something that just, I believe, that's what bureaucrats have said here in the state of Texas. Hey, Lathan, Lathan, I know you got to run and you've got other things on your schedule. Love the work that y'all continue to do at First Liberty Institute. You're making us proud, Helen from the state of Texas, and having that influence and standing up for the first liberty, the First Amendment, our religious liberty in the Constitution. Thanks for being our guest today, Lathan. Thanks so much for having me. I'd be glad to come back anytime. You bet. And while Nathan was on, I didn't get to mention, though, I'll mention it now. The website for First Liberty Institute is firstliberty.org. You can go to firstliberty.org, find out more about their work. They are a nonprofit organization. Yeah, I saw a lot of their team up there in D.C. recently this week getting some FaceTime, if you will, with President Trump as they were talking about these judicial nominees and um, I was, you know, I've been mo- going around the state quite a bit. We got members of our team in Houston today. Um, we've been doing a lot of work here in Austin. Man, the issue here in Austin School District continues to just explode. And I talked about court cases, some recent decisions on court cases. You've got this decision about the little boy who was being forced by his mother to go through a gender transition. Uh, James Younger, that case got turned around and moved in a positive direction so the father now can play a role and he does not have to go along with the gender transition. Um, the parents are ha, um, have divorced, so they had um, they were making independent decisions on these things. And also the case of, um, of the Pardo family that had their child taken away from them. I think he was four or five years old, um, we were a part of a legal brief, uh, a friend of the court brief, supporting that the child be released back to his parents and highlighting some of the things that went wrong with the government agencies. So the Supreme Court got involved and put a stay in place, a ruling that just kind of put things on hold. But as a result of that, the little, uh, their child was able to come back to them. Wow. I, I mean, I was encouraged by that, but I didn't think it was going to happen just because of, well, it didn't seem like it would, would happen because there have been so many things that have been going the other way so far. And so, but we believed in it. Don't get me wrong. But my point is, when it happened, I just understood the gravity of it and how important it was. And it was just amazing. We were just like, wow, that is, you know, because when you get to that point, when you're asking the Supreme Court to step in, you're really, that's your last chance. I mean, that's your last effort. You know, that's the last you know, kind of tool you have in the toolbox. And you're like, if this doesn't work, um, you know, he's going to continue this long period of time separated from his parents. And so, it, but but when it does happen, it's so encouraging because it just reaffirms 
uh, how important it is to never give up, to explore and to exhaust all options, particularly legally. Speaking of that, of exploring all options, um, the Austin Independent School District has upset a lot of people with their radical sex education. And there a lot of the concern was the sex ed curriculum came together in a very short amount of time in the last month or two. Even though they had been discussing the issue for a while leading up to that, it was in relation to curriculum by Planned Parenthood. Well, Planned Parenthood got booted out because we have a state law now that says government can't contract with abortion providers, and that's what Planned Parenthood is. So they had to be removed. Their curriculum had to be removed. So Austin ISD had to start all over, if you will. And within a matter of a month or so, they had this new curriculum from Canada that, from what we can tell, is also an abortion provider. And there were so many people at this school board meeting a couple of weeks ago that some people never got in. They sat outside waiting. They were just kind of gradually letting people come in as people left. There's some people that were there for hours and never made it in. The meeting went till after midnight. Well, this week we submitted a Public Information Act request asking for more information about how we got to this point. What was being talked about behind closed doors? Because parents were furious, and so many of them rightly felt like they were left out in the dark, like some of those parents that didn't even make it into the meeting. They were shut out of the process. And so in the one way that you can find out information, and it's completely legal, the state law allows for it, Public Information Act request, you ask for information. You don't have to be a lawyer like myself or members of our team to do that. You as a citizen um, can submit a Public Information Act request and ask for uh, documents that relate to a decision, a policy decision by a government. And so the other thing we're doing, we're trying to find out who this um, transgender um, drag queen is that made an appearance in Austin uh, during Pride Week. Uh, the, the individual calls himself Miss Kitty Litter ATX. I can't imagine that that's the real legal name. But so that's one of the things we're trying to find out. What's the real, you know, is that really his name or, or what's his real identity? You know, what policy was in place? Were there any background checks that were done? Because from what we've uncovered, and I believe this is right, this is the individual that has a uh, prostitution conviction. And so, I mean, look. Are, is anyone asking questions? Are they just opening the door and letting people in? I know when I go to my kid's school, I got to present my driver's license. They run it through uh, a system that they have, which is great, you know, for them to have those kind of security measures. We're going to find out. Well, at least we're going to try to find out. But a lot of parents concerned about what's going on with the Austin ISD sex ed. Um, you know, the school district doesn't have a whole lot of time to respond. So we should be hearing something in the next couple of weeks and and how they're going to respond to our request for documents. You can find that information. I think we got a link on our website, txvalues.org. You want to see more about what we're doing on that issue. But let me plug again our Faith, Family, and Freedom uh, Gala in Houston. That's on November 15th. We're a week away. Okay, so this time next week, I'm going to be driving to Houston. All right. Um, for all the people watching on Facebook. But if you can see the back of my laptop here, if you're watching on Facebook, if you're online somewhere or on the radio, go to TXValues.org. November 15th, Friday in Houston. This event sells out every year. So we do have a couple of seats left. We've got some seats left. We want every seat full, though. All right. We know that um, a lot of attention on the elections. And so, you know, people were kind of looking at other things. Now they're going to focus. What am I doing next week? Come to our gala. If you don't live in Houston, you want to make the drive, stay the night. It's a Friday night. Get a hotel. Stay overnight. Listen to Dennis Prager. He's I mean, I don't know if it's without question. It's arguably he's arguably 
the most talked about or his resources are the most talked about when it comes to these issues of marriage, of biblical values, of sexuality, of pro-life. Prager U. These videos, I think, have close to 2 billion. Is that right? With a B? 2 billion views on social media. He's making a difference, okay, and and very thought-provoking, very interesting. He's going to be our keynote speaker. As you heard me mention earlier, Kelly Shackelford, we're giving out an award in his name, and you you don't want to miss the person that's getting the award. I do already know who it is, but I'm not telling you. you got to come to the gala to find out. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is going to be there. He lives in the Houston area. That's where his Senate district was originally when he served as a member of, um, as an individual member of a Senate district, he now presides presides over the entire Senate. He'll be there. A lot of elected officials were giving out our Faith and Family Champion awards that night for House and Senate members that scored a ninety or above on our scorecard. And this is a great opportunity for you to make an investment in the work that we do. We're going to be announcing some really new, interesting projects and efforts too that night. That you got to be there to find out. But just more opportunities for you to see why it's important to invest in the work we do. We are a nonprofit organization. We are 501c3, just like our friends at First Liberty Institute. Right? You can donate. Maybe you can't come to the event. You can donate right now. Uh, go to txvalues.org. Press the donate button. It'll get you set up. Okay. Maybe you want to do a one-time donation. Maybe you want to do a, a monthly donation. So maybe you want to be a, uh, one of the frontline friends. Maybe you want to be on the Cornerstone Club. Okay, uh, join friends like us, like ours at Eagle Peak Shooting Range that are a part of our support network. Um, this broadcast and this show is being supported and made possible by Eagle Peak Shooting Range. It's in Leander in the northwest part of the greater Austin area. I've been out there myself. Great facility. And um, the owner of that entity also has um, a shooting range out in Garland. I think it's called Garland Public Shooting Range. So if you're in that area, if you're listening from that area, you can check that out. But Eagle Peak Shooting Range, right here in the Central Texas area in Leander, supporting our efforts at Texas Values and the Texas Values Report. So there's still time. Get your tickets to the Faith, Family, and Freedom Gala on November 15th. Got a lot of friends that are coming out there. I'm looking forward to it. Y'all know I'm from Houston, okay? If you you listen to the show, you know, born and raised there. I still got a lot of friends and family there. They've been checking in on me there. You know, some of them that are going to come and attend, they're looking forward to it. I like to put on a good show when we go to Houston. You know, I care about the rest of the state. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, Houston will always have a special place in my heart. Um, And so, look. I know we won't be able to give a World Series winning ball away like we did two years ago, but we still made it to the World Series. All right, let's let's be grateful for that and thankful that we had such a, such great sportsmanship by our team this year in such a great season. But txvalues.org, get your tickets today for the November 15th gala, and we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.